This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the results, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app and you'll get rewards points delivered too. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome back to Green and White, our once again weekly Plymouth Argyle fan-led podcast. We're back after Argyle's sickening 2-2 draw away to Burton Albion and we'll discuss our poor record at the Pirelli Stadium, Macaulay Gillespie's return to the side, Adam Randall's new short-lived role as a number 10, and then we'll discuss Tuesday's game against Charlton in the Pizza Trophy and, if there's time, post-England's game against Iran. And before we begin, there's an update on former Argo striker Alex Fletcher post his horrible injury uh, suffered at Bath City. He said, thank you all so much for your kindness, generosity and messages of goodwill that have been sent through to me in what has been the most challenging period of my life. I'm now off the intensive care unit and continuing my recovery on neurosurgery ward assisted by the wonderful staff and nurses here. He goes on to say he wants to say a massive thank you to all of those that have been looking after him and his family and everyone who's contributed to the GoFundMe page. And obviously, everybody at Argo Life wishes Alex the best. Yeah, yeah. Again, I'm back to host. I'm Aaron, and joining me this week is John. Got to stop meeting like this, Aaron. And Joe. Pleasure as always. So, last pod, I asked you both if you saw Burton as a potential banana skin. And if I remember rightly... You both agreed that we expected to pick up all three points. Schumacher's been rightly praised this season for the way we've set up. And when things haven't gone well, he's usually adapted and changed it up in game, mostly to our advantage. That being said, how detrimental was rigidly sticking to the 3-4-2-1 without the creative output of a, a, a Mayer or an Azaz? I thought... Um... I, I guess I, you know, for the Mona crowd, should preface this with a load of stuff about how wonderful I think think Shuey is, and how great it is that he signed such a long term new contract, as we discussed last week, and and how you know I think that generally his in game substitutions and game management is the best of any Argyle manager that I can remember, certainly in the sort of League One and Two era. So I'll get all of that out of the way. Um, but I thought he really messed up on Saturday, to be honest with you. Um, I felt that we threw away about 55 minutes to an hour of the game on a formation and a structure and personnel that clearly did not work. Um, you know, we labored against uh, Burton's side that, you know, while 
dogged and physical, I thought were very poor. You can see why they're right down there towards the foot of the table. Um, and yet we didn't have the kind of nuance or fluidity to to break them down. And, and look, I get that, you know, we have a lot of injuries at the moment. Clearly, that's a huge issue. It would have been fantastic to have a couple of, uh, you know, creative unlock the door type players in behind whoever the striker was. And, and I don't think Randall playing there was, um, you know, would have been Shui's ideal person to play in that role if, if Mayer, Azaz, etc. were fit. But that being said, I think when you have so many injury issues, leaving your two most potent strikers, Hardy and Ennis, on the bench against a really poor side, I think is um, uh, just unjustifiably conservative um, as a tactic. Cosgrove has had some great performances for us this season, but I've rarely been convinced by him when he started games. And I guess overall, I just wish we'd had a bit more confidence. You know, Burton are second bottom. We're top. We are a better side than them. And... I think we just should have had the confidence that we could go there, play Hardy and Ennis and get one or the other of them in behind, which is exactly what happened in the second half. And I simply just don't accept that we needed to bring them on as fresh legs against a tired Burton defence for them to have that input. They have the quality and Burton's defence was not that great. We could have, I think, if we played a more ambitious system, wrapped the game up by half time, or at least have been a lot more in it than we were, rather than chasing the game and then being in a position where we had to defend it tooth and nail in, in injury time. And obviously we all know what happened next. So, you know, Shui at least did recognise that we were flailing around in, in the 55th minute or so. And it did bring Hardy and Ennis on, which had an immediate impact. But I wouldn't chalk this up as one of those where he deserves credit for this incredible reading of the game. I think he just saw belatedly what every other fan hopefully could see, which is that the system we played was not working. Um and, and as I say, I think he, he came to that realisation too late. And actually, and I'll stop ranting in a minute and let Joe have his go in case he completely disagrees with me. But um, I was a little distressed to see in Shuey's post-match interview that he said he felt we played well in the first half or that we did all right. Uh, I thought we were really, really poor in the first half. No cutting edge whatsoever. Randall didn't have a sniff in that number 10 role. Osgrove was completely ineffectual. Um you know, uh, the manager and the fans kind of watching the same game, having the shared experience of seeing the same things on the football pitch isn't always a good thing. Um, but I have some, often felt with Shuey that when you as a fan are sat there and, and thinking something about this team isn't working, Shuey often seems to be seeing the same thing. And for the first time, this was an analysis of a game that I've heard from him that I just completely, completely disagreed with. It felt to me like he was watching a different game to the one I was watching. But Joe, maybe you were far more positive about things and maybe I'm just being a, a curmudgeon. I thought he was never going to stop. Someone's put 50p in John this evening, didn't they? <laughs> Crikey. Um, no, I think I think there are a couple of ways to look at it. I think you, you didn't you say it perfectly in your question, Aaron, that Schumacher has been rightly praised this year for the way we've set up. And then when things haven't gone well, he's had the kahunas to change it up and it's been to our advantage. Yeah, like I, th he, I think I, I think I he, he, started he, with that very long question uh, to hmm. avoid avoid the rant of how I felt post game. But yeah, um, yeah, rightfully so. You know, it had we won on Saturday, that would have been the uh, fifth, sixth time I believe we would have won this season coming from behind, which obviously under Adams and Sheridan just never happened. So to do that five six times in a season is madness. 
Um, I think we almost had a parade through the streets when it happened under Sheridan because it was just a non-event. As soon as we went 1-0 behind, people just used to leave. Look, the point I was trying to make is that, I mean, John sort of said it in his piece that, you know, why did it take so long for us to, you know, if we started with Hardy and Ennis, we could have been more in the game than we were in the first half. Um, (laughs) I didn't really think it was a contest in the first half. Um, I, I... we couldn't lay a glove on 23rd place Burton. Um, Whitaker had a bright enough start on the right side, putting a couple of balls in, but I can't, I mean, we didn't, we didn't actually fashion a shot on target in the first half. We had two efforts on goal. Um, I was, unfortunately, again, I wasn't at the game, but I had the privilege this week of the EFL actually allowing us to watch it live. Um, and some of the stats that came out at halftime on iFollow were just embarrassing. Um, I think we had just a 60-odd percent passing accuracy in the first half. Um, we'd uh, Burton had made something like 10 or 12 interceptions in the first half, and we'd only made a couple. As I say, they'd registered seven or eight shots on goal. We'd registered two. Um, we weren't in the game. I personally thought, expected, I think I put it in the group chat that us guys have, that I thought we'd see a double change at half time. I'm surprised it took him nine minutes to realise it wasn't working. Um, Hardy and Ennis came on and it gave us a real drive. But look, you're right. He's He's been praised plenty of times and we will all continue to praise him as a tactical genius when he gets it right. But I thought it was a little bit strange that we changed our entire shape, our entire system to match 23rd place Burton Albion um, I understood it when we went to Wickham because you get what you see on the tin with Wickham and obviously we had the scars from the year before there when they set up tactically wrong um, this this just seemed a little bit odd to me um, what also was odd as John says was his summary at the end saying that he thought we had played okay first half I mean we just, I don't think we really got off the bus first half. Um, and for a large part of the second half, it looked like his substitutions had saved the day and that three points were ours and everything was hunky dory and everything was right in the world. And I'm sure we'll come on to what happened next in a minute. Just. Just quickly, Aaron, I know you mentioned what we had discussed about Burton last week at the beginning of this podcast where you said that. We had both felt that, you know, a, a, anything other than a win would be a poor result and, and, and indeed we expected to win. I think we also both said last week, you know, both offered up a, a variety of football cliches about how there's no easy games in this league. You have to respect every team, even the team down in 23rd, yada, yada, yada. And you do. And, and Burton, I think, clearly showed why no game in this league is, is a walkover. You know, they were they were solid and they were tough to break down. But I do think there is such a thing as paying a much weaker team than you too much respect. And I think we paid Burton Agreed. too much respect with the way we set up on Saturday. And it's and you know I, I, it might seem like we're being harsh on on Shuey because he does so often get it right. But I think there is a broader issue here, which is in recent weeks we have sometimes set up from the outset conservatively against teams that we should be better than. Um, we've not seemed to trust our ability as the best team in the league on paper, or at least you know according to the form book anyway, um, to play our own game against teams that are difficult to break down and, and, and physical and all the rest of it, but to go to play our football, to trust 
our talented midfield players to get Hardy and or Ennis in behind rather than lumping it forward towards Cosgrove and trying to have players who are not really attacking midfielders feed off scraps. Um, I don't understand why, as Joe said, we have to adapt our game to what a much poorer side than us. You know, we, we just played into their hands, it felt like. And I think it's not the first time Shuey's done it in recent weeks. Um, I think the other times that he started that conservatively, he's managed to change the game and we've ended up winning, which we nearly did on Saturday. And so it's not really been discussed too much, you know, how he how he says up from the start. Um, obviously, on Saturday, it did come back to bite us. And while we did nearly win the game, I'm sure we wouldn't necessarily be having this conversation in these terms if we had just seen out 10 more seconds of the game. It does put you in a position where you have to defend something in the last minute rather than being two or three nil up. And I sincerely believe, based on the kind of rapier-like way that Hardy and Ennis ripped through their defence after they came on with, with real ease... I just can't conceive of a world in which we were only a goal to the good and defending our six-yard box in injury time if we set up differently at the start of the game. So I so I don't think it's just a one-game rant, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I think the result on Saturday has maybe been a few weeks coming when we have been setting up conservatively against sides that I just wish we had the confidence to attack a bit more using our own, you know, our own system, I guess. I think John's probably hit the nail on the head. And what struck me watching on the... Um on the TV on Saturday was that I what what really concerned me in a way is well I actually thought Burton expected us to play that sort of game. I think they sort of expected us to try and match them up because it was quite strange how high they were pressing us as if they sort of knew that we were going to play Cosgrove up front, we were going to be conservative and we were going to look to try and hit on the counter-attack. And I just thought the whole shape of that first hour of the game was just so peculiar and like the entire axis of the world had shifted <laughs> it, it, I just I just couldn't comprehend it that Burton seemed to have worked out and it was as if they'd set up all week expecting us to play as tall and as physical a team as we could and play one up front none of us saw that coming no, that's I don't, think, true. If, that's I don't think if you'd asked us to name a predicted lineup last week that any of us would have come up with what we played. No, I certainly wouldn't have had Randall in the 10 role, which I guess we're going to come on to. But Yeah, I, I was just going to say, like you said about the it's been coming, John, and like three away games on the bounce against, let's say, weaker sides, right? In Grimsby, Lincoln, Burton. You're, you're expecting two wins out of that realistically if you want to, if you want to push up the leagues, right? Um, well, let's be fair. Only two of those oh. results impact the league. Well, yeah, that's very true. I was about to say that, but yeah. Um, do you, so. You say about it's been coming, and, and I agree. I think we've been we've been poor. Um, do you think there's a reaction from Lincoln? Really, like Ram? You know, Randall's has got the goal against Grimsby. Got the goal against Lincoln. Do you reckon that's more of a? Oh, he's he's looking like our biggest attacking threat now. Let's let's push him forward. <laughs> and and have some more solidity in there with with Houghton and Butcher, yeah. Because obviously, because obviously, we started Hardy and Ennis against Lincoln, right? Yeah. Right. And, and we on this podcast last week were much more positive than I think the typical Argyle fan on social media that we had seen about our performance there. And I think that that was not a case of setting up conservatively um, against a, a weaker on paper side. We played Hardy and Ennis, um, and we thought it was a good game, and and you know. It was a probably a deserved result between two good sides. I have no complaints about the result last week, but but Lincoln are a m- much better side than Burton. Um, I, I certainly at home. 
that you know they won again at home on Saturday, by the way, Lincoln. So they're still unbeaten at home, at home this season. That is an intimidating, tough place to go, as we discussed last week. I don't think yeah. the same can really be said of Burton, unfortunately. Um, and so that's why I just don't, I can't see how pushing Randall up into a ten and playing Cosgrove up front and dropping both Hardy and Dennis was a response to Lincoln. At least I can't see it's a response that made sense as far as my observations of the Lincoln game went. In terms of the Randall thing, again, I don't think you'd be playing in that number 10 role if Azaz or Mayer, you know, either of them were fit. Um, I think I think it, it was kind of a necessity thing. And I think in, in fairness to defend the decision on paper, Randall has qualities that you would associate with someone who can push up into that more advanced midfield role. Um, obviously, it scored two very good goals from outside the box in the previous two um, away games. Uh, I think the Grimsby one was outside of the box, certainly the, the Lincoln one was right on the edge, um, is someone who's got, who's a bit canny and has got a bit of guile. And we did discuss last week, in fairness, how Ennis and Whitaker were two very, you know, as those two players behind the striker are two very direct, hard-charging players, not players who can maybe unlock a defence with, with the kind of subtlety of, of Mayer or Rosaz. And, and Randall, I think, does have that technical quality. Um, so I guess you can see a case on paper for him being potentially good in that position, but I also think there are a load of reasons why he's not suited to that position. Um, you know, he's someone who I think is better at sitting deeper in midfield and launching the play forward rather than being in the thick of that play when it comes forward. Um, he's someone who also has a very good understanding with Houghton, I think, and I think obviously moving him forward disrupts that in, in terms of the two of them sitting deeper in midfield. So for me, it's, it's, a bit of a strange one just generally, albeit, again, as I said, I can see some upside to it, um, potentially. But it, it's really a strange one against Burton, where I think it's it's an inherently conservative move to move a, a defensive-minded... Someone who's been playing in a more defensive-minded role for us forward into that number 10 role. And we have we did have other players on the bench who could have played there, including Ennis. Um, and, and instead bring in someone to, to bring more solidity into that defensive two in midfield. I mean, that... Again, given the opposition, in that context, it just strikes me as really perplexing, um, even if there might generally be something of a case for it, if that makes I've, sense. I've, I've nothing really to add to this whole debate about where Randall plays, because I'm very pro-Adam Randall as a player in the side, I think. Um, and I am too, I, to be fair. That, I doubt we'll see him in the number 10 role again in a league match. I'd be very surprised if we did. Um and I think we'd all probably agree that he was a lot more effective when, I mean, they were all a lot more effective when Hardy and Ennis came on, but when he was partnered alongside Houghton, um, mm-hmm. he just looked a lot more natural and a lot, a lot better in the role. Um, but I mean, if we're, if we're promoting players because they're scoring goals from outside the box, then bloody hell, we'll be starting Barley Mumba up front against Port Vale. <laughs> Which, which I mean, to be fair, wouldn't wouldn't be a bad move because he's getting further forward, isn't he? Defensively, he is poor, and I said he was poor to start with, but on Saturday he gave Galloway next to no help. Which actually leads me on to next question about um, Macaulay Gillespie. He started his first game since the end of September, uh, and I I think he looked the most impressive with the back three. I was surprised he wasn't awarded man of the match, but obviously Mumba scored so. Uh, that sways the vote slightly. I I just thought he was absolutely solid. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I appreciate Gillespie's talents more than, let's say, the average Argyle fan. Yeah, I just think, but Galloway is 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 one of my one of my favourite Argyle players at the moment. But 
just been so so poor like based on his own personal standards that for me right now Gillespie gets in to to our best starting back three alongside Skyra Wilson yeah I just don't, I just wonder what you guys thought of I'm, his return I'm, I'm not going to offer up any argument to that um, I think he um, I think he's almost definitely our best header of the ball um, and that's certainly a quality you would look for if you're playing a back three. Um, I'm quite happy to eat humble pie. I wasn't a massive fan when he first came to the club last year, but I felt as the season went on, his performances grew. He grew as a person as he settled back into English football. Um, I th- he was obviously unlucky when his injury came around at the point it did this season. Um, yeah, I mean, if you're to write down our strongest back three, you'd almost definitely have Scar and Gillespie in there, it's do you then have Wilson or Galloway? That's the problem. And if you play Galloway, who's playing on the right? But that again, that's a debate for another day. I thought I thought Maka was outstanding Saturday. I thought he was comfortably comfortably on the pitch. I don't I don't really remember him missing a header. Um he, you know, it just looked like he hadn't been away. It was no surprise he went down clutching his clutching his lower limbs as time ticked away with a bit of cramp, but, um, well, according yeah, to the, as according a range... to the post-match, he was, he was only thrust in last minute as Wilson pulled up in the warm-up, but, um, yeah, apparently so. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's even more kudos to him, isn't it? Surely that you can just step in at the 11th hour and put in a performance like that after being off for so long, um, and touch wood, providing he's come out of the game. Okay. And there's no issues. Then, I mean, he's almost certainly... I'd be amazed if he's in the squad tomorrow night. Um, and you'd just be ramping him up in cotton wool for the Port Vale game because he is going to be a massive, integral part of our Christmas running towards the January window. Not, not only did he step in kind of at the last minute for Wilson, but he stepped in in, in the middle of the three where mm. I don't recall him playing for us before. He, he probably has, he may have done. Uh, but it's not his usual position. Um, so he's not only come back, you know, not only come in at the last minute and come back from injury, but he's done it into both a, a less familiar position for him and also one that's really crucial for us. Um, you know, that anchor in that defence, where, where I think, as we discussed last week, we have missed Dan Scar when he's been unavailable. Uh, and I thought he was really solid. Uh, yeah, really, really good on Saturday. I, I, I agree with you both. Um, and I think... Uh, as Joe said, I also was not a huge fan of him when he first came in at the beginning of last season. But for me, he was probably our most improved player over the course of last season. Watching Agreed. him Agreed. turn in a performance like Franco Baresi at Stamford Bridge was um, one of the most <laughs> real moments I've had as an Argyle fan. But just really outstanding there, which I think was a, a kind of capstone on his improvement for us. And yeah, and it, and it was great to have him back. And I think um, Gibbon the pressure I would say that we invited on ourselves, as we've already discussed. Um, yeah, having him winning things and, and being so authoritative at, at the back in the middle of that back three was um, was great. There was a real quality, wasn't there, with him and Galloway and as part of that back three on Saturday. Um, I thought the pair of them... I mean, we all know what Galloway's qualities are. We, we obviously hope and pray that he's over the worst of his injury issues um but if those two stay fit um they're both going to be such key players for us because they have just got so much 
quality and it's different qualities as well. Galloway with the ball at his feet is a brilliant player. Um, and if you if you could ch- transfer that to Gillespie with his head and ability, I think you've probably got the perfect centre half, in my opinion. Certainly at this level. He tops the accurate passes per ninety at the club, uh, according to Fotmob, uh, this season with forty point two per game. Of course, um, you'd just come out with that stat just after I'm praising his aerial heading ability. Well, it, it, that as well as his uh, accurate long balls per ninety at six point eight per game. Uh, which which sees him third in the league. Um, basically, that just that just helps me move on to uh, Lomvik, who um, two point six inter- interceptions per ninety, the highest of all players in League One. But um, he seems to struggle to get like I don't know if it's a it's a visual thing versus a stat thing because his stats seem to stack up quite well. Um, he was our he was our third highest rated player. Uh, you know, found himself in the man of the match vote. Um, but I just thought he struggled on Saturday. I didn't know if that was, you know, experience and that's now, what, three games on the bounce he's had to play because of injuries. And he just needs, he, you know, he needs a, a game out, a week off, whatever. Um, any thoughts on Lovvike? Or am I just overreacting? Am yeah, I just I'm, trying to find a scapegoat? Um, I, I just quickly have a thought, which is connected to one of my previous thoughts. Which is, yeah, I, I agree. I thought he looked ropey, um, whatever the stats say. But I thought he really grew into the game after we made those changes and brought Hardy and Ennis on. Um, and, and for that last, you know, half an hour or so, barring the last minute calamity, um, which wasn't necessarily his fault individually or anything like that, it, he was he was much, much better. And I think it goes to show that that... that when we when we try and play our own game, when we play attacking football on the front foot, it isn't just a matter that concerns the kind of two players in the ten and, the, and then the striker. It kind of infects the whole team. Um, Lundvik looked much more capable and confident when we were on the front foot as a team pressing forward because I think that suits him. I think he's fantastic when he gets to step out of central defence, uh, you know, come out, make make tackles, interceptions, but also bring the ball forward. I think that's his real strength, and I think he doesn't favour moments where we are under the cosh, where we're playing on the back foot, where people are, are coming at us. And I think there's ample evidence for that from, from the last several games. So I think it just, again, I think it goes to show that Hardy Nen is coming on in a way elevated players' performances right through the team and not just in that attacking portion of the pitch, which kind of heightens my frustration with that, that whole situation uh, all the more. Yeah, I was going to say, I, now, I now that we've agree. praised... Um, go on, Joe. I sort of agree because... I think we found with a lot of his performances this year, he does get better as the game goes on. Um, I think he, when he becomes more confident as the game goes on, I think he gets better. Um, I, I do think we have to just be a little bit careful in the fact that we just sort of praised Galloway and Gillespie for their performances on the day, that perhaps we were judging Longvike against them as a as an average, as, as the bar was set. And perhaps, yeah, all right, he did come up short of those two on the day. Um, but I, I'm not going to get carried away with him. I think he's, I think he's a very good player. I still think there's there's more to come from him. Um, but John raises an interesting point. The the obvious one that springs to mind is the the well for an hour really against Bristol Rovers when Loft and then Coburn were sort of bullying him and harassing him out of the way most of the time. You obviously had the first half yesterday where we were under a bit of pressure it is 
again, I'm trying to think back to the exit again. Um, if there was anything that jumped out of my mind there. Um, but there are moments, but every player goes through moments like it. But um, I just think we need to remember that he is a relatively inexperienced defender still learning his way in the game. Um, and against, when he was playing alongside Macker and Galloway um, on Saturday, you'd have to be a pretty good defender to match their level. From what I from what I could see, anyway, in my opinion, he he actually yeah. didn't play in the Exeter game. I don't think. I think he came on if if memory serves in that one. Um, well, that would be why I can't remember any howling <laughs> errors or times that he was under pressure. But this is why you're here, John. It's very good, right? And the the Oracle apparently. The, I think with well, not not when it comes to kind of arcane stats. That's that's Aaron's job. I think with with players like him and Mumba there's obviously a reason they're playing at this level and not a higher level where, where I think they have the ability to play the natural ability, which is, yeah, they're not the finished article. They're young players learning their craft and that comes with mistakes. Um, and I think that's fine. I think when you blend that together with kind of more battle hardened lower league experience, as we, as we have certainly as we do in our best system, um, that can be a really productive mix. And yeah, I think Mumba's got a lot of mistakes in him, but equally, a, a, an incredible burst of pace and eye for goal and, and you know eye for goal involvement for a nominally defensive uh left-sided player and then on saturday was another you know to take one huge positive from saturday his goal was once again absolutely fantastic to jump in with some more stats lonvike with six clearances two of those with his head four interceptions and six recoveries as for clearances let's just get to it uh how have we let that drop how have we let that ball drop to Adrian Mariapa? He's got he's got two goals in nine years. I believe he's, nine... he scored more than that in the A League, uh, Aaron in Australia. So a goal, relative goal machine over there. I think I heard someone say that's absolutely ridiculous. But thirty-six year old Adrian Mariapa getting on the Getting on the end of... There's no way is Adrian Mariapa 36. He's been around for about 45 years. We switched off, didn't we? And um, I think it's really tricky because I'd love to sit here and defend Shui's argument about how the drop ball occurred. Um, at the time, I remember watching it and I was quite irate the fact that he'd even stopped the game because neither player was relatively shaken by the incident. Um, and then with the whole way that I follow is, they're, they're still showing a replay of the incident. And by the time they cut away from that, the ball's being launched into the area. And I'm thinking, well, how the bloody yellow person got it back that quickly? Um, and then from that moment, there's a free header that isn't really contested. Then the ball looks like it's going out of play harmlessly. Cooper sort of comes to go for it and then doesn't and gets back on his line. And then the lad gets a free header then to keep it alive and head it back into the box. And then Adrian Mariapa already mentioned with his um, folly of youth still available to him, just pops up on the edge of the six yard box and has absolutely all day to put that past um, a despairing Michael Cooper. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Um, I actually had written down, I was taking notes as the game went on, um, and I actually didn't make a note between Miller coming on and Whitaker coming off. 
in that 10 minute period, the only thing I had written down was game management. And it's underlined about 274 times um, <laughs> because I'm sat there and I'm thinking, there's a point of me that thinks when we were just sort of moving the ball down the touchline and we're winning throwing after throwing that we're seeing this game out brilliantly. Like this is what teams that get promoted do this. We're showing a real, a real mentality for this. You know, we're, we're on it. And then I don't think we could have got that last five minutes any more wrong. If we tried, you, you got the moment where we're, we're, we've, we've won the contact from the corner and the ball's given to Hardy and he's going through the keepers in no man's land. And I get it. He's a striker. He scored on the day. He fancies the goal. He'd love to have that one back, wouldn't he? I, I think he should have run it into the corner rather than try and score from 40 yards. I think that was a little bit of naivety. But equally, you know, it's not his fault that we've failed to win four headers in a row in our own box in the 98th minute. Mm. It's terrible. Uh, it's terrible defending from any team. But... And I think I think canny managers, as we've as we've seen with you know Fergie and, and others over the years, sometimes try and deflect blame from their players in low moments by blaming the referee or someone else. And I was not convinced by Shuey's. So maybe maybe that's what Shuey was doing about the ref. Maybe he genuinely was as disgusted as he sounded. I'm I'm not really sure about. He's got that. a point. He's got yeah. You can contest the the mechanics of a drop ball, I guess. Fine, but ultimately, I think it's quick thinking from the Burton player to whip it straight into the box off the off the drop. Yeah, ball. but possibly I think the we wider should, point. We should, we should clear one of the four. We should win one of the four headers they got. It's it's and and you know there, there was some. I think he complained, and I apologise if I'm wrong here, but I think he complained. Certainly, some others did on on social media about the fact that it was the 98th minute of six minutes added on, but. You know, there were injury stoppages in that time. It's a minimum of of six minutes. It it, it was clearly. Mm you know, clearly legitimate to continue the game to that point. We just, we just failed to see it out. And again, I think, I, I think I would just come back again to my earlier argument, which is ultimately we should not have been in that position. Uh, you know, you can talk about Ryan Hardy, talk about the drop ball. You can talk about four missed headers. I think there's merit in all of those to, to some extent, greater or lesser. We should not have been in the position where we're defending a 2-1 win at, at Burton of all teams in the 98th minute. Um, that tooth and nail. We, we should have seen, you know, having gone two one up, they offered absolutely nothing and we should have seen it out much, much better. And, and I don't think we should have been in a position where we were only one goal to the good in that game. I think that was a self-inflicted dropping of two points on Saturday, whichever way you want to slice it. Um, and maybe Shui is trying to protect the players to some extent by by suggesting that it's not our fault we dropped two points. Um, I think whatever his reasoning for what he says, I'm not buying it. It was it was self-inflicted for me. I think it was just highlighting what had happened during the game. And I I said to you boys Saturday night after the game, like I I could go blue in the face talking about referees on a weekly basis. And um he's talking about the referee not having much control throughout the game. And I I kind of agree with him. Like there's some there were some late tackles going in in that first half on Houghton in particular, the poor lad. I don't know. I don't know what he's done to the Burton team, whether someone screenshotted a message he put up historically or something years ago about Burton as a place or something, but they, they had it out for him and, and Butcher yeah. caught the late one towards the end of the first I, half. And I don't agree with that. I think I think they're just rubbish. I think they were just a step behind us in at times because they are a poor side and poor sides make late tackles. Um, didn't think there was malice in any of the ones that I saw. I, I thought the worst of them got a yellow card. I don't agree with Shuey that the butcher one, which which I've seen slowed down a couple of times, was was a stamp uh, that, that contained any malice or anything like that. For me, it's just a 
are coming together, honestly. Maybe you'll disagree with that. I just don't. I thought the ref made some questionable decisions. The lino as well. There was one corner we should have had in the first half that was a blatant corner right mm. under the lino's nose that got given as a goal kick. It was, and he he laughed. He yeah. laughed about it. The linesman. He was laughing at Joe Edwards's reaction, and of course yeah. Joe Edwards has got that, quite a few good memories of that corner of the Pirelli Stadium. Um, but yeah, but, but the, what what for, the point I'm trying to make on. is I don't think that I don't think it was a particularly poor refereeing performance personally. Um, mm. Not any worse than any other week, and I just don't I just don't buy that the ref meaningfully affected the, the course of that game. I just don't buy it. I did know um, whether or not it's worth any anything in in the grand scheme of things or not, but please referee, um, I think I'm right in saying again, I could be wrong, that that was his first, se- it's his first season in the Football League. Um, I did do some digging and found out that the fourth official first refereed in the Football League in 2003. Um, now, I'm not going to sit here on a broader point and suggest that because we're top of the league, we have a God-given right to alleged and perceived better, more experienced referees. But in a game that holds a lot of um, permutations towards the end of the season with a team in a real relegation fight and a team battling to get into the championship, it just seems a little bit odd to appoint a first-season referee, personally. No, I don't. Um, I, whilst I whilst I agree that he didn't have any bearing on us not winning four headers and having to defend to see out a two-one win away at Burton, I just think as a broader point, um, I guess it's a broader point on refereeing standards as a whole across the league. But um, I'm just going off on a tangent, and that's not what we're here for. I think it's similar to Lovnike and Mumba, right? In the in the in the fact that if the referees were any good, they'd be higher up. They would be at a higher level, and that's we are league. Every referee has to have a first season somewhere, and, and and it happens all the time that the fourth official is a more experienced ref than the actual ref. It's a very common thing that happens week in week out. I just don't. I don't think we'll ever see eye to eye on this refereeing performance. <laughs> um, obviously, Houghton took several clatterings. Um, Butcher took a few. Uh, Lombard got upended twice, um, and obviously, I think it was Hardy. Hardy won it, right? Did Hardy win the penalty? Um, and put that away. Ennis. Ennis won Ennis the penalty. Of course, he did. Away, yeah. of course he did. Um if if Gillespie's living on his uh, Chelsea memories, Hardy is not. Um it's safe <laughs> to say. And he's tucked that one away pretty well. Yeah, I was yeah, I was gonna get onto the subs and say, um, after after he did so well to change it up and get us back in the lead, do you think he then may have uh, put us on the back foot, i.e. bringing on Miller and Krask. Obviously, Miller played well, um, but Krask, I mean, I got beat. The... Krask was on I for thought... five minutes, got beaten three times. All of a sudden, it's 2-2. I, I don't, I yeah, don't want to lay I'm any blame. On... I think it'd be harsh to put it all on Finley Krask, but I did think it was very... It was a strange withdrawal of Morgan Whitaker, given literally just before he had a, an effort pushed away by the goalkeeper. Um, which could have sealed it. And when we were looking so bright and on top in the game, I just thought, um, I don't know, but I don't think Finley Krask had a great bearing on the result. I um, I would agree. I, I don't think that bringing Miller on was a mistake. Um, for all we know, he's better defensively than than Bally Mumba and, and has 
yeah, some of the same kind of attacking zeal. He certainly showed that in his cameo on the pitch. I thought he was he was terrific. Um, so I, I wouldn't I wouldn't say that was that had any negative bearing. And with Krask, yeah, obviously, I think the only thing I'd say with Krask is that Shui has tended to bring on very young, inexperienced players. If I think I'm correct in saying this, in games where we've been very easily ahead, you know, by by two goals or more, and and very late on. Um, and maybe there was a little bit of complacency there creeping in, thinking that Burton aren't going to get back into this. We're just going to see this out. That's not a criticism of, of Kraska. You know, obviously a very young player, um, not on for a particularly long time. And I don't think his involvement had a bearing on the result. So, yeah, I guess having said that we paid Burton too much respect initially, I wonder if Shui sort of thought the game was over and maybe it was a bit too much of a crucible to throw in someone with so little experience. But but I don't think it's a big, a big talking point. Okay, let's let's move on to Miller then. Uh, deserving of more talk mm. time than uh, Finley Krask. Um, yeah, look good, look good. I'm very excited to yeah. see him. I didn't see him in pre-season at Torquay, where everybody raves about him. Um, he was very even, good. But even for what did he get? 17 minutes plus extra time. He looked he looked good. Like I'm excited by Mikael Miller. Yeah, I'd, I'd probably take the 17 minutes on Saturday over the however long it was he played at Playmore because um, we all know where Torquay are at the moment um, and what they're going through. And I think any one of us could have probably played it, not taking anything away from his ability on the ball, but I think any one of us could have played a left wing back that day and put in a similar performance. Well, you haven't, um, seen, you haven't seen me play football, Joe. Aaron's meant to be quite good, I've heard, but uh, I am not. So I'm not saying I don't, I don't, yeah, know, I've got, I don't know where you've heard that. From you, <laughs> I've got more the stature. I've got more the stature of Adebayo Akinfenwa. So if you want something like that, a left wing back, then I'm your man. But going going back and coming back off a tangent, I thought um, there was a moment, wasn't there, where he beat um, he beat a boat and play on that left wing, and he really got forward. Um, and that is what we saw essentially against Torquay that night, and that's what really got people purring about him and. Um, my hope, I, I really hope that the fact that we're playing him tomorrow, I really hope he comes through that, like more than anything else, because we are short in that position now that Grant's gone. Um, and seemingly, I guess, that recalling Ryan Law doesn't necessarily seem to be on the radar at the moment. Um, it, it would be heartbreaking if Miller couldn't get through tomorrow night um and I, I just hope that if i don't know what the plan is they obviously have a minute a, a series of minutes in their mind as to how far how long he's going to play um i just i i think i'll probably say about three rosaries tomorrow night before kickoff a couple of hail marys and our fathers and just <laughs> hope and pray he gets through it because I I don't think after seeing a seventeen minute cameo I've wanted a player to be fit for a league game more than that because he really did look sharp. It would be pretty big for him if he can get through tomorrow and then be fully fit for the Port Vale game. I think. I think he did play twenty something odd games for Rotherham last year. In the end, so he is someone. He's not someone who's incapable of staying fit. Uh, clearly. Um, and yeah, he's obviously going to need need some minutes uh, before he can manage ninety. But I, I agree with with all the sentiments there. I think he's really really good. And having him and Mumba um, in in rotation, or you know whether one allows the others play somewhere else in the team, I, I'm excited as well. 
Uh, Sam Downs brought it to my attention that Michael Cooper hasn't kept a clean sheet since releasing that sensational TikTok. Um, do you think that Youth Academy products should be banned from video-based social media? Uh, a blanket ban on YouTube and Vine as well? Uh, no. Um, I'm going to... No, I was going to say, um, this is this is a... I hate to put a downer on the podcast, but I think this is a garbage point. When I saw the running order come through and I saw that question, I, I had to laugh um, and probably look like a lunatic because I was just laughing to myself reading my phone. How can we possibly attribute Michael Cooper not keeping a clean sheet because he was he appeared on a 10, I don't know how long TikTok videos are, but 10, 15 second video dancing. I mean, it's just we're, ridiculous. We're, we're not attributing that at all. It's Sam Down. You think this was a bunch of old men on the podcast discussing this? <laughs> and that's the reason he's not kept the clean sheets in five games or whatever. It's ridiculous. So anyway, Joe, we have a game tomorrow night. Um, Yes, I can't wait. I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> Caesars host uh, Charlton Athletic. Um, and even if you're a fan of the PJT or not, this is the furthest we've progressed in the Papa John since its reincarnation in pizza form. Uh, topping off our recent poor league run with another 90 in the tank for an already depleted squad. Uh, do you really see us needing or wanting a slice of the action tomorrow? It's literally only just dawned on me. It's literally only just dawned on me that PJT is an anagram of JPT. Yeah. Um, which is what this competition should still be. Do we need a slice of it? No. Do we want a slice of it? Seemingly yes. Um, however, note of caution to any of the brave souls who are planning on going out to Home Park tomorrow, of which I will not be one of them, but I have... Strict views on why that is. Um, Schumacher has said today on Argyle TV that it will not be potentially not as strong a side as it has been throughout the rest of the competition, owing to the fact of our crisis, if you want to call it that. Yeah, the football club seemed dead set on having a run. I mean, we're out of the FA Cup, so we've got to try and generate some cup revenue from somewhere. Um, but it's not a distraction I would want if I was the manager of the football club. But there's a reason I'm not a manager of the football club. So, I I am not an anti-pizza cup zealot of the uh, Sam Down and by the sound of it Joe Bell variety. Uh, in terms of having, oh, I'm a I'm a staunch, I'm staunch axe the competition. Now, uh, like, I used to love the Johnson's Paint Trophy, but this is just ridiculous. What what are we what are we achieving by allowing these youth teams in? Pointless. I have no moral objection to it because that would require having thought about it. I simply don't care. Um. Uh, yeah, the only reason... Uh, yeah, but I don't have a life, so I think about these stupid things. Basically, to echo Joe, I think that, yeah, it, it's the, the extent to which I care about it is that we should absolutely not put any first-team players in harm's way, uh, with the exception of people who maybe need some minutes in a basic, you know, basically a glorified friendly to, to, to improve their match fitness. Um, it would be insanity to risk injuries to senior players in, in, in a game of that lack of significance clearly not really anyone in the world of football respects this competition as a serious achievement um and while as as a london resident i would probably personally go if we got to wembley i have no desire to see us there and yeah let's let's just kind of let's just play a player youth and reserve team and let the chips fall where they may i guess does does anyone would anyone be surprised if d mayor appeared in the 18s tomorrow night 
Uh, I'm not fully aware of his fitness level, but it would not shock me. I'm just trying to think back to the time frame that Shui gave us a couple of weeks ago when he said he'd be back for the end of November and this game seems to have fallen almost perfectly. Like, I've not seen anything to add weight to that argument. I'm just saying, obviously, we expect Miller to get time. Burton seemingly will play in goal. Um, I just wonder whether... I mean, it would. It, I mean, let's be fair. That would be a positive, even if it's just name only. Um, I care so little about the Pizza Cup that you might need to jog my memory. But is it is the rule not that we need to start five players that finished the last league game? Oh, therefore, therefore, Finley, Krask, and Mikael Miller would count towards that five. But you can take a fine, can't you? Uh, I've no idea. I don't know what the fine is. This is just lunacy, isn't it? What? We've got to play five players. You started on Saturday. No, you got. I think you've got to play five players. Don't quote me on this. It could be absolute nonsense. You have to start five players who finished the game. Could explain That's why right. Krask start. came on, potentially. So Krask and Miller will count. And then maybe Gillespie That's for right, minutes, then. even if he plays half. Um I, suge- I suggest we start them and then get them all to drop down with cramp after 30 seconds and we have to substitute them all. Yeah. If it's a nominal fine, I'd be tempted to just pay it, honestly. I think, I think it's 10 grand. I think it's 10 grand fine, which is exactly the same as what you get for winning a game. So, I was, I was just about to offer to pay it, but on second thoughts, maybe not. I would wager, personally, that injuries to players who actually could start a first-team game um, could cost Give them a lot more financially in the long run if 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 they play tomorrow, play tomorrow and get injured. Yep. Given we lost Scar and Grant in a what now looks to be a seemingly pointless cup game already this month, um, albeit we obviously wanted to win that one. Um, I I do not want us left with egg on our face at ten o'clock tomorrow night. Agreed. Agreed. And, and, I think, and I think just to chime in on, yeah, there have been rules about respecting various competitions over the years. And I, I think it's reasonable. I think managers should be allowed to pick whatever team they want. Um, if there's evidence of genuinely corrupt intent or match throwing or whatever, then that can be something for an investigative panel uh, to, to adjudicate. But managers have a squad. They have to they have to use the squad um, as they see fit to get the team through the season. Um, let them do their job and, and get the rules out of it. And before we go, obviously England run out. Was it 6-2 in the end? 6-2 winners? against Iran today, earlier today. Uh, any thoughts on that? Any thoughts on uh, the three lines bringing it home? Uh, I would simply say that uh, I'm not going to get super carried away with it. Um, equally, there were people predicting a door nil-nil result or even an embarrassing defeat. Um, clearly, that didn't come to pass either. And I think while saying it was only Iran has some weight in the sense that it wasn't France or Argentina and we did still concede two goals. Um, we were fantastic. Brilliant going forward. Jude Bellingham, absolutely immense astride the midfield. This is clearly a side that is not the tournament side of old. Um, and yeah, I think that they've been underestimated probably quite significantly in some predictive quarters going in going into this tournament uh, based on based on you know good reasons like recent results in the Nations League, whatever. But Lots of teams have bad results going into tournaments and do really well because they're tournament teams. I think we're not in this country accustomed to England being a tournament team. 
I think after the the 6-2 result, we have to maybe wake up to the possibility that we actually are, which is exciting. But I'm not not going to predict it's coming home just yet. Nice, John. Um, yeah, I, I thought we played okay. I thought we set up a lot more positively with a system that suits us better than I thought. Um, and I'm just going to revisit one of my demons when it comes to professional football nowadays. The standard of refereeing is embarrassing. How can we not get a penalty after three and a half minutes and Iran get one at the end? Do you feel sorry for them or something? I don't know. But um, once again, referring back to the Lampard goal in 2010 that was officiated by a Uruguayan gentleman, um, a Uruguayan VAR has decided to um, once again spoil, in my opinion, today's game because... We should have been one nil up after four minutes, but well, you don't know. You'll get a lot more about me moaning about referees in the future. But I just thought the 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 use of VAR today was was abysmal. Yeah, I don't know if I would bring the nationality into it personally, but uh, it was. I, I, yeah. I'm just pointing out that there's a weird coincidence that they were both Uruguayan. I have nothing against Uruguayans. I don't know any Uruguayans. I'm sure it's a lovely country. It is, um, but I'm just pointing out that. Um, a Uruguayan official at a World Cup has previous um, regarding England and controversy in games. Obviously, today's decision not particularly consequential in the end, but um, no. yeah, a, baff- a baffling inconsistency between the Maguire incident and the penalty that got given late on. Certainly, nice. Okay, we'll call that. A, we'll call that a day. Uh, thanks for joining me, and I'll see you next week. Thank you. Cheers, Aaron. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. This Mother's Day, treat mom to healthy, glowing skin with Osea's limited edition skincare sets. Osea has been making clean, seaweed-infused products for nearly 30 years. Their advanced eye care duo brightens and firms skin around your eyes, while the Golden Glow Body Trio nourishes and smooths skin all over. Go to oseamalibu.com and use code MOM for 10% off your first order site-wide. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.